0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, Glenn. Yes. Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh, God, here it comes. You're walking down the street. Mm. You're in North America. Yes. You suddenly find yourself in desperate need of working dog equipment. Right. Where are you going to get it?
2: Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics.
1: Yeah. Is that where, if you were in North America, you would get all your working dog equipment? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Why? The best.
2: All-round good guy. All-round good guy. Got a- McLeod Point. He spells his name with a C and not a K.
1: Oh, he must be cool. He must be really cool. All right. Next question. Yes. You're walking down the street. Mm. Same street? No. Okay. Now you're in Australia. (laughs) You can find yourself in need of dog equipment. Mm -hmm. Who are you calling? Hang on a sec. Let me think about it. Is he a (laughs)
2: buff (laughs) head? Actually, he's half a Bullfed now. Yeah. Yeah. He's the fading Bullfed. He's the fading Bullfed. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's given it away a call, old
1: mate, Jason Furman. Yep. From Einzer Wiener. Wiener.
3: All
1: right. All right. Yep. One more question. Right. You are uh, in Ashland, Virginia. Right. And that's you- very specific. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're walking down the street. Yep. Which street? Uh, any of them. A Street. Okay. And you meet a person mm. whose dog's just being unruly. Their pet dog's causing them all kind of problems. Yep. Who are you going to refer them on to? Oh, the one and only Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Who runs that? Melanie Benware. Aha. Uh-huh. The Prez. The Prez of the IACP. Yep. The one right. and only. So, you would need working dog equipment in North America. Mm-hmm. Canine, Canine Dynamics. Dynamics. Need any kind of dog gear in yep. Australia. Yep. Or Central. Byneswick Dog Quip. Yep. Need some pet dog in-home. What does she call it? She calls it stay and train or play and train. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
2: All of that. Who are you calling? Kindred Canine. Melanie Benway. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Love you.
1: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today on the phone, joining us from New Jersey is Kathy Santo. Kathy.
3: Hi, guys. Welcome, Kathy.
1: Thanks for joining us all the way over from where you
2: are.
0: Yes, where I am in Jersey.
2: (laughs) Just before we kick off the show, I'd like to thank you for being a major sponsor through Patreon for our show as well. I really appreciate that. Both of us do. That's very kind of you. So thank you very much for helping us out.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You guys do an awesome job. I am a huge fan, as are the people on my team. So yeah, keep up the good work.
2: Thanks. Yeah, that's really nice to know. And (laughs) thank you so much.
1: So we do kind of informal introductions on the show. Like I love doing backstories on people and teasing out their backstory. And so, you know, a lot of the times when you have, you hear someone on a podcast, the presenters do a big intro as this is this person and they're their achievements. I'd rather tease that out over some time, but I study that beforehand and holy fuck, you've done a lot of stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I'm old.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I was
0: saying.
1: But uh, like, you know, when you want to give someone the, the two minute kind of tagline bio, we couldn't do that with you in two minutes. Not that we do it anyway. But like I say, I always kind of have that in my mind because it's where I want to sort of drag a conversation over a while. But you have been in the game for a long time and been involved in a lot of stuff in the industry. So tell us about it. Yeah. So go back to the start. Let's Hear about how is it that you became Kathy Santo, the dog trainer?
0: <laughs> okay, so way back when I was five, I wanted to train my dog. And that's what my parents tell me, that I just was connected to the dog. I would steal food out of the refrigerator to give it to the dog to make it sit and things like that. It was just weird that I had that compulsion. And as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated by it. So,
2: What type of dog was it? It was,
0: it was a Great Pyrenees. Mm. Yeah. And so... I would just trot her around on her leash and and they let me because <laughs> they didn't know body language and I'm sure I was laying all over the dog, but she was a really good dog. So
1: she put up. With I did
0: it. all that <laughs> and I just always wanted to do that. And I didn't know any dog trainers. I had never seen a dog show, but it sort of stayed with me. And when it was time to go off to college, my parents were like, surprise, you're not going. We don't believe in it. You should be a secretary. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, this is not going to happen. So they got me a job in New York City, and I worked for an insurance company for a year. And I came home one day and said I gave two-week notice, and I'm leaving. So I got in my car, and I picked up my boyfriend, who's now my husband at the time. And I drove to Atlanta, and the last thing my mother said to me as she threw a coffee cup at my windshield was, Don't you dare get a dog.
2: (laughs) Surprise.
0: Surprise. I was not even in Atlanta an hour before I went to the shelter and got a dog. Nice. And I found training classes and I thought they were barbaric. And uh, I thought there has to be something better than this. And I saw people doing competition obedience and I was like, oh, I want to do that. So they had this little mixed breed and I thought, oh, I want to get a golden retriever because they look fun. And these really nice women who are competing at like competition arch level said to me, if you get one from the paper, you have to interview them. I'm like, oh, all right. So they told me all the questions to ask. And I grabbed a paper off the table of the instructor. It was front and finish. Do you all know what front and finish is?
1: I know it. We don't have it here in Australia, though, do we? Like no Right. One... It's,
0: it's like yeah. the U.S., like who's who of obedience, right? Mm-hmm. There were columns and things like that. Yep. Anyway, I saw a woman's name on it, Diane Bauman. And I'm like, ooh, she has a litter of puppies. So I called her and I grilled her like she was a pet dog obedience person. And she was actually Diane Bauman, who is a huge name in the sport, won games, all that stuff. And she humored me. And she said, I do have a puppy left, and you can have it. So I went back to the school the next week, and I'm like, I interviewed someone. I grilled her ass and made sure she was a good breeder. And they said, oh, where are you getting a dog from? I said, I don't know, someone, Diane Bowman, Diane They're like, oh, my God. Uh, so apparently I landed into this really awesome uh, dog trainer who was one of the top ones in the country. So I drove up, and she said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to train with me, but you're in Florida, and I'm in New York. So we're going to do it by phone and by videotape. So that's, that was my first competition, Doug.
1: And when Um, you say videotape, you mean mean like actual videotape. Yeah. Being posted back and forth. Right.
0: Oh, it was the camera on your freaking shoulder that you had a video. Right. So, so let's date this. It was like 86. Wow. There was no internet. So I would make these tapes. Right. And I would send them to her and I'd wait a whole week, which is like a year. And then I'd call her and I'd say, did you get the tape? And she'd say, yeah. Okay. So tell me what your problems are. And I told her the broad jump, blah, blah. And she's like, well, how do you think you should fix it? I'm like, I didn't call you for this. I I want the answer. She's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to give you the answer, but if you come up with three solutions and call me in a few days, then we can discuss. I'm like, are you kidding me?
2: Nice. <laughs> uh, I like her. I like her already.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't love it at the time, but <laughs> I see where it got me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I then I went into competitions with her and people saw me training and they were like, oh, can you train my dog? It was pet people. Um, and that just grew. She was competed in the Gaines Classic and the Gaines Regional. She won. She got her arch. It was just it was great. It was a lot of learning. And when I was taking all of what she was teaching me to Florida, at that point down there, they weren't doing the things that they were doing up on the East Coast. So a lot of what I was doing seemed odd to them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm just doing what Diane's telling me to do. Uh, And it kind of caught on. And then people were like, oh, can you teach me? And so then Diane said, you know what? You have a gift. You know how to do this. So I want you teaching me with me on my seminars and camps all across the country. I'm like, really? Okay. And so I was at these seminars and these people were like 50 years old. They've been in dogs since they were in diapers. And here I am, my little ponytail. I'm like, hi, okay, you're going to do this. They're like, why? I'm like, I think it's just going to work. <laughs> they were like, Okay. So they rolled with it, and that was pretty much my start with competition obedience.
1: And mm. so, what was the training like then, Kathy? Was it sort of mostly leash work and sort of you know what we would call older school pressure and release kind of stuff, or was it food and like how similar was the work you were doing then in the eighties to the work you would be doing now?
3: It's
0: completely different. Mm. Um, but back then, the way I was doing it through her and through then. And it was great because it was hers and then my interpretation of her. So it's sort of, you know, you make it your own Mm -hmm. a bit. Uh, I remember teaching this dog attention by holding her head up and (laughs) like mechanically there was, there was no food, there was no toys, which is actually why I moved away from her at my second dog. I moved to people who were working with food because it interested me but but even when I'm saying that I held her head up right and I did all this with her the other people who were doing things differently than me were much more severe
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I could see that and I'm like oh I'm I'm like an angel with this dog uh, meanwhile I was holding her head in an abnormal position and just saying good girl so, mm.
1: so uh, I think that's really you interesting. wish you
0: had that dog
3: back, right?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's interesting though, when you talk about like in the days where training really was just all compulsion based, mm. there's varied levels of compulsion, right? Like there's the idea of like yank and crank, force, do it to avoid discomfort, as well as the idea that, Hey, I can just, you know. Uh, gently manipulate you into this position and give praise and and show there's value in being in that position, right? You know that's a funny statement to make, not from you in general, I because
2: you, because you know compulsion really has been touted as a filthy word in yeah. the industry, and yet let's say you for example you work in an aged care home, if you help an elderly person in and out of a chair, you're using compulsion. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing that people don't understand is that. Just because you've seen somebody being a brute with a dog, it doesn't mean they're actually using compulsion. It just means they know nothing about dog training in general. Mm. You know, where people who do use compulsion or better using the word guidance, they're like surgeons with it. They're absolutely fantastic with their
3: work. Yeah.
0: And back then I think it was kind of an obedience heyday for at least the U.S. from my perspective with all the big tournaments and things like that. Mm. And I feel like a lot of trainers were made – Using methods that weren't great, but they had dogs who could take it. Do yep. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Right. So, you know, if one guy had an amazing dog, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to go to his seminars and everything because that was the product he was showing. And then he would do things and they would try it on their dogs and their dogs would like fall get apart, get crushed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but, but I don't, I really don't remember people using food, at least with the dog that I was doing at that time. Pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the dumbbell. Like, so when you were teaching a dumbbell, there are people who just put it in front of the dog and hammered on the ear, and that was done. But the higher elevation of that was you actually put it in your dog's mouth four or five times. Yeah. <laughs> and then you pinch their ear. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you are on the compassionate end of the stick. I just don't feel like there was that much. Like, I loved her. She was like my soul. But I don't think there was anybody really thinking about how you could do it better. They were just trying to do it to get it to the point where you can get in the ring and show. Because that was also, for a lot of people, a social thing.
1: Yeah, totally. It's always interesting to me to sort of, you know, because I was learning to walk then so
0: so. (laughs) yes when they had dinosaurs
1: (laughs) but it's interesting to me to hear that kind of stuff because I wonder if it's one of those chicken or the egg things because it's so rare these days to find a dog not to say that we should be going back to training that way but it's rare to find a dog that would accept that, right? Because mostly dogs are not as tough as they were then. And I wonder if it's because we've gotten better at training that we are breeding dogs that are not so tough, or if it's because we are breeding dogs that are not so tough that we have had to change in the way that we train. Like, Which one of those is the pushing force and which one's the passenger? Why not both? Well, one's driving, the other's coming along for the ride, I think. I don't know. What do you think, Cathy?
0: It could be either, or I tend to think that back in the day, there were top big name trainers and they'd get a dog and they'd start it along and it would just not do it. And that dog would not be around anymore. It would go somewhere else. Yeah. So they did cycle through a lot of dogs. Breeding programs were built on dogs who had that toughness that you could get the wiffle ball bat and you know enforce a drop on recall. And that's what I saw when I went With my first dog from the shelter, I saw someone with a wiffle ball bat and the dog didn't drop on recall and she hit the dog in the head. I'm like, oh, there has to be a better way. I'm my first dog, but I'm fairly certain that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that there, but there were dogs who could take that and they were brilliant in the ring and they had drive and they were fast and they were accurate. And so that's what people wanted. Almost a shortcut because you didn't have to have really any finesse to get the dog to do what you want. You could bumble through it and still look like a fairly good trainer and get good scores.
1: Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about you're traveling the circuit and competing, it's all AKC stuff that you're talking about, right?
0: Correct. I mean, there were some UKC and CKC and ASCA, the um, Australian Shepherd Club, but mostly I competed in AKC. And
1: So forgive us, was, forgive my ignorance, but what's the difference between AKC and UKC?
0: AKC is the American Kennel Club.
1: Mm-hmm. But like in what they do, like, is there a stark contrast or it's just a little bit different?
0: I think UKC accepted different breeds. Like maybe the AKC hadn't accepted yet. Right. I'm thinking, and this is way back. So I'm thinking like the American Eskimo. I think it was in UKC, but not AKC. And I think maybe the UKC trials were a bit more lenient. Um, AKC. And I think that's what attracted me to that because I was coming off, and you probably don't know what it is, I was coming off drum corps. And Winter guard, color guard. And so that was really a competitive thing. And so I think that's what drove me to this because the precision of it, I loved it. I loved that you had to have accuracy and the dog had to be animated. It was like all these things that you had to do together. And so when I started competing, I knew that I just wanted to win. <laughs> and it wasn't like against somebody. It was just like, I wanted to hit a 200. I wanted that. That was my goal.
1: Right. When you say drum corps and color guard, is that what I'm imagining in that this is like marching band type stuff?
0: Yes, but like on steroids. It, yeah. Oh, wow. DCI. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you tour the country and you do the, you compete and like, and that's how I met my husband. But that was a really precise sort of driven
3: thing. Yeah, it's kind so of like military. I like
0: that.
1: Military esque drill Esk. formations, right?
0: But you know what? If you looked up DCI, org and you saw what they did, it would just blow your mind. It, it's completely different than what you think. Most people go, oh Marching band, but it's kind of like more like drumline, maybe a little bit more. But it, it was the same thing. Like if you had a toe out of place, you Yeah, or you it's didn't a precision event, weapon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this to me was like, oh, I can do that. I have this dog. I love dogs and we can compete this way.
1: Nice. And so you got your second dog and you started experimenting with more motivational techniques, right?
0: Correct. So MH, that was my second golden. Uh, it wasn't working out with the way I was training with Diane. And I'm like, you know what, Diane, I like, she loves food. And and I think I want to do this. And, and, and Diane actually, and I had written a book together. So there was, it was, you know, quite a relationship. And I was like, I just, I, I want to use food. I want to play with toys. Like, what do you think? And she's like, that's not what I do. And so we agreed amicably, you know, I'm going to go this way. She's going to go this way. And so I'm like, well, now I've gone this way and where do I go? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So somebody was telling me about a trainer named Terry Arnold and I had just moved back to the Northeast. And so she lived in Massachusetts, three hours away. I'm like, well, I'm just going to get up at five in the morning and drive three hours to spend an hour with her to drive three hours home because that makes sense to everybody. (laughs) And (laughs) that's where I learned about food training and how she used it. What year was that? That was 95. So my son was two because we moved out of Florida because we really wanted to be back up north. And so we moved when he was two and that was right around that time.
2: I think that's the year that it really started to kick off. Like we started to see like that paradigm shift occur in Australia around about 95 as well. And it was really sort of Karen Pryor-esque introduction. Obviously, some people went straight to it and they adopted it straight away. And other people just thought, oh, no, you're a sissy if you use that type of work. And I say that because obviously I'm embarrassed of not embracing it or not even be willing to look at it way back then, but that's all we knew. We knew compulsion back then. It was a hard transition for us because we thought that, you know, like training dogs with food was really doing them a great injustice.
0: Right. And I mean, when I was with Diane, that was, she was brilliant to me, like all of that. And, and I still think she is brilliant. And then when I started working with Terry, it was brilliant, but in a different way. Mm. It was the first time I heard you could play with your dog when you were training. I was like, wait a minute. Isn't that like being at work or being at a bar? Like those two things really happening at the same time? Mm. And she was showing how you could do that and still have accuracy and have animation. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that is where I learned that that could happen as well. Um, and about this time, I had a Border Collie named Trigger. And Trigger, gosh, she got her OCH. Usually it takes people like a year maybe to get an OCH. She got it in three weekends. Wow. Um, she was just brilliant. Wow. Yeah. wow. And then, like, a year and a half later, she died of a heart defect. I was like, wow. Uh, okay. So I'll just grow another heart now. And that's when I took a step back from all of it. I'm like, I'm taking a step back. I just, I had, and I had my daughter at that point. So that now we're into 96, 97. And I'm like, you know what, I am going to retire from the sport of obedience and I just don't want to do it again. So then my husband's a chiropractor. So we're living in the house he grew up in because it has a chiropractic office. And I was out in the back just with the dogs and one of the patients stuck their head through the bushes and said, oh, my God, I heard you're a dog trainer. My dog is peeing on the rug. Can you help? I'm like, OK, just here's my number. Call me. And I helped her. And then she told two friends and she told 12 friends. And in like a month, I was back up and running. And then I was and I was training full time, probably more full time than I'm in Florida. And in Florida, they had me flying back and forth every couple months to teach my students that I had left when I moved back. And then when this started up, I'm like, I can't until cloning happens. I got to pick one. So it was easier to pick Jersey, especially because the kids were young. Mm -hmm. And that's when it all started, all of the pet training that I started to do. I mean, I did some in Florida. I was working in a shelter. I was doing temperament testing. That, I have to tell you, working in the shelter, that's a real trainer for you because Mm. you walk in the shelter and there's an index card and it says, oh, Fluffy, he was given up because they're allergic. And you go, oh, hey, Fluffy. And you get in the run with them, And he's like, you know what? I'm going to cut you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were allergic to dog bites. That's why they gave him up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're like shit these people are lying
3: <laughs> yeah and i was Fancy like that.
0: at the time i'm like this is terrible so but the good thing from that was it really helped you cut your teeth on body language because it's a self-preservation exercise
3: yeah
0: um so so then so that it set me up for being in jersey and then doing a lot of the pet training that i did
1: so that's an interesting progression i remember we talked about this when we were together that Most people kind of go, you know, their entry into pets, into training is through pets and then behavior modification and basic pet obedience, and then they get a taste for it and they go on to want to compete themselves. But you've kind of got that about face, right? Like you started out in competition obedience and then went the other way, back into pets and behavior modification.
0: I did, and it's such a weird progression. You're right. I don't know. I think I was just so over – I think I trained this dog trigger – It was such an amazing animal and I put my heart and soul into it. And it's like, it's like having, I don't know, a portfolio of art and somebody just throws it in the river and you're like, I'm too tired to do it again. Mm -hmm. I'm too broken. I just, I'm not going to do it. And knowing that probably you'll circle back to it, which now ironically I am, but a hundred years later. um, (laughs) But I just, I needed to walk away from it. And there is some kind of guilty pleasure in working with pet people who the dog sits and they're like, Jesus, this is amazing where you had a school in Florida and my students were like, he sat, but he was a quarter inch off and (laughs) I need 17 hours of lessons this week. And I have got to win this trial. And as much as I love that, this just felt like, oh, this is nice. It's like a warm bath. I can can do this easily and make changes and save dogs and help people. So it was a good fit for the time.
3: I
1: think, you know, Everybody draws their pleasure from different places, but I, I 100% agree with you on that. Like I really love coaching people on, you know, precision stuff and competition type obedience. That's really what I like talking to people about. And I love seeing people do well, you know, just recently, I'll give her a shout out. Uh, Tossie just did a um, a BH with a people, right? And I was, you know, that's amazing. And I watched all the footage and I was like, wow, this is really good and it's very satisfying. And I know she felt good about it. And all I did was just give her like a little pep talk prior to it. Like she's done two years of training with this dog <laughs> and, and, and has a club all around her, but that for me is very satisfying, but it is kind of like, I mean, if the dog had failed, it kind of would have been no big deal as well, right? Whereas when you're dealing with behavior modification stuff, when you know this dog's getting the needle unless I can Mm. figure it out. And then you do figure it out and you save that dog's life. It's a different satisfaction. Not that one is any better than the other, I think, but it is different. You know, like you go home feeling differently that day. Gains are gains. Yeah. Mm.
0: It does. It's just, and- The stakes are, in my opinion, so much higher for the dog. I mean, Mm. if he fails a sit-stay in a ring, what are you going to do? Well, we won't talk about what (laughs) has been done to people, to their dogs. But, you know, in general, they're going to train and they're going to show again. But if a dog doesn't stop biting a kid or runs out in the road, the consequences are way higher. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, stakes are higher every single day.
1: Yeah. So you're back to training full-time. You're training pets. Things are going gangbusters. You're in New Jersey how does it come to be you in that be like, tell me about getting a facility and building up to yeah the place that I saw.
0: Okay. So I was training up in the house and it was crazy. And I had waiting lists and I'm like, I can't do this by myself. All right. So I'm just going to write some word docs or Microsoft, whatever I was using at the time. And I'm just going to write out how to train your dog. <laughs> and so I'm going to write it. And then people who are on my wait list and need help. So the dogs can't go to the, rescue shelter and be put down this is going to help them so if you called me at that time and you said i need to get my dog in training i would have said to you i don't have any room i'll put you on a wait list but i'm going to give you this bunch of papers and it'll help you and at some point somebody i don't even know how it happened but all of a sudden i'm filming dvds um for, and it's called Kathy Sanders Dog Sense And we have products I don't I literally don't even remember However, what I do remember is one of the producers On that shoot said to me I have a friend in publishing And I'm looking at this book that you gave me Because I couldn't train her dog either Because I had a wait list She's like, all these papers, this is a book I'm like, I don't know, I guess And she's like, can I give it to him? I'm like, sure So then she calls me the next week She goes, I have an appointment with you with my friend He wants to meet with you I'm like, oh, okay, where? She goes, he's in the city And I'm like wait a minute i don't want to go to the city i'm in jersey it's a pain in the ass she's like i really think you should go i'm like all right fine so she gives me the address and it's this book imprint and it's kanoff i don't know who kanoff is so i get i get in the city i'm like oh shit i'm never gonna find the parking garage like going to iraq i got water bottles i got paper maps and i get to this building and the building says Random House. I'm like, great. I'm screwed because I'm looking for Knopf. So I go in. It's big old lobby. There's pictures of Martha Stewart and cookbooks. And I'm like, I, can you help me? I'm looking for Knopf. And they're like, oh, it's upstairs. I'm like, okay. So I go up. And I meet this guy, George. And we have a meeting. And it's really not a meeting. He's talking about all his problems with his Jack Russell Terrier. And I'm like, oh, I can fix that. So I fix that. And he's like, so you wrote this? It could be a book. I'm like, yeah, I guess it could. He's he like, okay. So he calls me on the way home. He's like, I'd like to do your book. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Okay. He's like, I'm going to get you a check um, for like the pre-book money, whatever. And he goes, and we're going to edit this together. It's going to be great. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I go home. And I'm like, oh, Eric, you want to publish the book. And he's like, oh, that's great. Who is this again? I'm like, Knopf. He's like, holy shit, Catherine. Do you know who Knopf is? I'm like, no. Well, P.S. I found out they were publishing Bill Clinton's book and a book called French Women Don't Get Fat the Same Year. <laughs> they sent me on a two-week book tour across the country. Every day was a different city. I had a nine-month-old Shizu I took with me for book signings and radio and TV. It was on Martha. I was on CBS Early Show. Martha then kept me as a regular guest. AKC did an interview with me, AKC Magazine. And they're like, we love you. And it's too bad we're talking to you today because we just got a column we want written. And, and we're talking to Caesar Milan about it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Like, I don't care. And they said, but the problem is he doesn't want to write it. He wants us to write it, and he wants to put his name on it.
1: I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Caesar, Kathy's just out of
3: Yeah. Um,
0: and I'm like, why would you do that? Are you paying him? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, does that make sense to you? And she's like, actually, it doesn't. I'm like, I can write the column.
3: And, and put Caesar's like, name on it. Would? <laughs> I'm like,
0: but she had to put my name on it and I'll write it. And she's like, it's a deal. And so that was back in 07 and I've been writing it ever since. Sorry, Caesar. Nice. <laughs>
2: so, the, so the column wasn't by Caesar Santos or anything like
0: that? <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> so it's a, that's interesting, right? So really fortuitous uh, baptism by fire into wow. the limelight, right? It's an impressive yeah, backstory. I
0: mean, suddenly you're in it. Like mm. it was. It was wild. Book signings are terrifying because you're like, are people going to show up? And then they do. And you're like, why are you here? Like,
3: <laughs> I, you don't even you <laughs> even know me.
0: I had a media escort. It was it was crazy. It was crazy.
1: And so that was all over the country. Um, and you said that you were a regular on Martha Stewart's show.
0: I was. And Martha loved me because she loved dogs. And the first time I met her, she, it was, we were doing rehearsal and I was, she came around the corner and I'm, I swear to you, whenever I saw her in person, she didn't look to me like she looked through the TV, which is weird, but it's true. And I all I saw was dogs come out and I sat on the floor. I'm like, oh my God, dog. And then I was just playing with them. They were Frenchies. And then I see these shoes come up and I hear her voice. And you know, it's Martha's voice. And she's like, hello, are you Kathy? I'm like, oh my God, Martha, I'm so sorry. I said, hide your dogs first. She's like, no, that's why I like you. And nice. I'm like, oh, this is good. Nice. So we had a great relationship. And through that, Good Housekeeping said, will you be a contributing editor? uh for a column we want called ask the dog shrink and i said okay which is what i say to everything (laughs) then iams came to do a video series and i'm like okay and then martha came to me and asked me to do a serious radio show for them and i said what i said okay but when i went to my people at house beautiful which is a different they're not the same It's um hearst is house beautiful And then there's Martha. And her said, you know what, we don't want you to do that because it kind of mixes brands. You can't Mm. do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, sorry, Martha, I can't do the show, (laughs) but I can still be on TV. And it was fine. So anyway, that is what I think propelled the amount of students I had. Right. Even stratospheric, it was just crazy. You're thrust into the limelight.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: Now I'm like, I couldn't do it before and now I really can't do it. And cloning doesn't appear to be successful with people. So I better get a space.
1: (laughs) Hey, while I think of it, when we're done, have you had any clips like on YouTube or something of you on Martha Stewart? Is there something you can send us? Yeah. Can you send
3: us that? I'm going to,
1: I'm going to put it in our group. Yeah, for sure. It's a very impressive backstory. So you set up a space. uh, Is that the current place you have now or have you moved?
0: No, that was a space in Ramsey and it was a thousand square feet. And it used to be a video store. And I had a very good friend who said to me, video is dead. I'm going to give you this space and I'm going to help you by giving you a few months free and a big TV, big screen TV, which is lovely. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Um, and so suddenly I had a month between going in there and where I was at that point, And I had no website. I had no lesson sheets. I had no business plan. I had what I don't know what a business is. People gave me checks when they finished a lesson. <laughs> So, uh, then I want to say there's no internet, but I know there was, but it was just like, I didn't know where to go to get help. I'm like, well, I better fit for this thing. So I had somebody who knew how to do a website and they made me a website and I decided I was going to do sell this classes in packs of six, because I thought if I got that money up front, then I'd be able to pay my rent, which I'd never had to pay before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the idea of open enrollment because I thought people could just jump in whatever. And then I started the business and I'm not, I wasn't used to at that point, just being accessible to people all the time because they'd always called me to set up an appointment. So the idea of bumping around in a space by myself and anybody could open the door and go, Hey, how are you? Um, tell me about this. Slightly terrified me. because I didn't understand it. The, mm. the social aspect of it was going to have to be. So I started training and it was evident within the first month that this was going to be really good. I initially started with just training. And then somebody said to me, oh my God, my sister called. She just got dropped off at the airport early. Like, I have to go get her. Can you watch my dog? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So she left and it was me and the dog. And I was like, "Mm, I could throw a ball. I could take you for a walk. So I did. And then she got the dog later and called me the next day and said, oh my God, he was so tired. Can you take him again today? And I was like, okay. And she's like, I want to pay you. I'm like, all right, well, that's good. So then the next day, her friend called and said, I want my dog to stay with you all day too because my friend told me you do it. And I said, you know what? You can't because she's a student and I only watch students' dogs. I don't know what I'm saying, but it sounded good. And she's like, you know what? My dog needs training. Sign me up. I'm like, oh, this is how it works. So from day one, When I started doing daycare, I just wanted dogs who were in training. I wanted people who wanted their dogs to be better. I wanted my team to be safe, the team that I didn't have at that point. I wanted me to be safe. Um, I wanted the dogs to be safe. So that's how I started it. If you were a student, you could do daycare. If you weren't, there's plenty of big box places that you could go to, but this is not the place for you.
1: Mm -hmm. That's great. And so how long before you started employing people?
0: It was probably a year and I had just I one person actually she was a groomer next door. The grooming shop was next door to the space I had. And I'd go over there every morning and be like, good morning, Stacey. I hear that you're training dogs, too. And I would love you to come train with me because I was really lonely. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, I wanted a friend to talk about training with. And I'm like, you could do classes, too. And so she's like, "Oh my God, she's you're so annoying. Like I'm not coming over doing classes. But I did it every single day, and I would <laughs> bring donuts and I would be super Disney. And I basically annoyed the shit out of her until she finally said, "Fine, I'll give you one night. Like Tuesday, is that good? Like Tuesday's great. That's awesome. That's what I wanted. And so here we are, so many years later, and she's teaching full time. <laughs> still
1: <laughs> she's still with you,
3: perfect. Hooked her cool. in. yeah,
0: still with me. Uh, and then I sort of developed a team over time and I didn't know how to run a team and I didn't know how to run a business, but the lights were on and people kept showing up to work. So I figured, well, people are getting paid. Um, it was about eight years before I knew what I actually made because I just didn't ever look at that. Like my husband was looking at it, but I didn't want to know. I, I never wanted it to be about the money. Mm. I wanted it to be about the fact that I was put on this earth to work with people and fix their dogs and fix their life and make them feel happy. And I just, I never wanted it to get down to dollars. And that was something I held on to for a long time.
1: Awesome. So tell us about your current setup pre COVID. Cause we're going to talk about what you did during the start of the pandemic and how you've kind of reshaped, but let's pretend it's October or November or whenever it was that I was there because Okay. You had one of the best run facilities I think I've ever seen. Like it was clockwork, everything ticking over, beautiful facility, well set up, well managed, but amazingly run. And so you've just told us this haphazard story about falling into a bunch of things <laughs> and just say, yes. But when I was there, nothing looked haphazard to me. So uh, tell us about that.
0: I think that the people who were attracted to me, to my vibe, to the mission were just people who I needed, who showed up at the right time. And we grew together as a group into mature people who would actually make protocol and systems and, you know, make it better for everybody on a team level, on a student level, experience level, and also on a dog level. And so, yeah, in October, nine months after I signed a 10 year lease, we opened and it was a 10,000 square foot facility. It it's just huge. And it had a waiting room. It had everything I didn't have because where I was initially was one room. You could walk in the front door and see straight to the back. Mm -hmm. And this was not that at all. And even when you were there, I was talking to the landlord about getting the other side, which was another uh, 6,000 square feet plus a yard. Like that was my thing, that yard. I needed a yard. Mm -hmm. And it had an old dilapidated garage, but I had plans for that. I was going to turn that into a grooming shop. And... He said, well, Kathy, there's a child daycare there. I'm like, it's okay. They're going to move soon. And he was like, okay, but I don't think so because they signed a 10-year lease. I'm like, it's okay. They're going to move. And like (laughs) a month later, (laughs) I did not do a thing. Uh, Sure, sure. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Of my intention (laughs) created the need for them to go away. And they did. And so I signed a lease on that in, I think it was December. Or January, yeah, mm-hmm. January we officially signed the lease,
1: and so the business looked like it was daycare, uh, but still only for training clients, right? Correct. And yes,
0: so it's only, yeah, and retail and classes. We're doing forty classes a week.
1: Yeah, but and so you were you do like day stay training as well, right? People drop the dog off, you're training it throughout the day, then you do handover. Yep. Yeah. Tell us about all that.
0: So we do something called fast track. So if you want to come to ask for your dog to play, but you can't make class that week, Can't do a one-on-one or your life is turned sideways. We will train your dog. And so what that means is myself and I have, I have seven trainers now, eight, no, I have 10 trainers. Oh gosh. Anyway, we assign which trainer gets which dog and it's all overseen by the lead trainers. And then we train the dog. And what the people get back is an audio report and videos saying, Hey, this is what we did. This is what you need to work on. And these are the pitfalls we see. And we'll see you next time at class or on a one-to-one. And that's been huge because, you know, people have lives and they're busy with their kids. And it's a very busy area that we live in. And so they love the idea that the dog is going to get dropped off. We do party days, too. And so we we'll do pajama day and we had a splash party. Like, there's just other things that we do, uh, birthday parties and it's along the same thing. It always has to go back to the training for me. Mm. I could never have just a daycare. I could never just have a grooming, place. just the need for the people to communicate better with their dogs and understand them and the dogs to be able to be better citizens within the house to keep their place safe is what matters the most to me. And so that's where that day training came out of.
1: Yeah. Perfect. And that's a vibe I got when I was there with it. It was really you're teaching people how to live really effectively with their dogs and, and doing that by example is the kind of, what I felt like you guys, it was, I was very impressed by the, just the systems you had in place and the way the dogs, you know, rotated through and the lessons and, and the, the, the ridiculous amount of classes that you run every week, 40 a week. It's, it's an easy number to just drop out 40 a week and say, Oh, we'd run 40 classes, Mm. but uh, that's a lot of dogs. That's a lot of classes. That's a lot of dogs. A lot of 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 staff and a lot of of space. Mm. Yeah.
0: And then we have to always, you know, meet and talk about curriculum. And the four lead trainers, we try to meet every other week. And then we bring all the trainers together and we talk about our goals. We talk about cases that you're working on that you need help with. And all the trainers, we all work together to help each other give a better experience to that dog.
2: So Kathy, just on that, who does all that structuring for you? Is that something that you fell into yourself or did you employ someone to do that? Or did you bring someone in externally? Like how did that come to be that you, are as well oiled as what Pat is talking about?
0: Well, it was me. I'd say a month ago brought someone in as COO to Mm -hmm. help because (laughs) I don't do numbers, but no, it was me. And, and like I said, the, the team leaders, the managers, the people I put into management positions, we would talk about what they need. And I'd say, well, how about this? And how about this? And we weren't afraid to do things that might not have worked there was no fear of failure. We would do something and we say, well, that sucked. Let's try something else. And it, it's just, it's like a lighthearted single minded group of people who and, consider each other's family. And
2: let's just track on that for a little bit of time. What are you looking for when you're looking for that type of person as a team leader? Like what's your ideal person?
0: It's usually somebody who doesn't ask to be a leader.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: It's somebody who I notice is, Taking that role without being tasked with it, We have such a you can tell me, and like I'm in there at 7:30 with everybody else, and we talk like we're talking to each other right now. And, and when you're in there at that time, and when you're in there throughout the day, you see the people who are leading. You hear how they're talking to other people. I want, I want people who are respectful of the people they work with. I want people who are innovative, I want people who are energetic. I want people who love dogs and love the mission that we're on, which is to help every dog be his best, to help his humans understand him and to help the humans have a good relationship with their dogs. Because I never want anybody who says to me, I love dogs, but I can't stand people because that's just bullshit. You can't have empathy for the people and their journey unless you love them as well. And Mm -hmm. we do, we love all of our students. Mm. I mean, Besides that, dogs don't have credit cards, so
3: you can't
1: just love them. Yeah. No, but it's definitely something I noticed. And and there's a few people that have, you know, like you brought me in to do private seminars just for their, um, you know, private training days for their staff. And that for me is always, you know – when someone asks you to come and do that, you know you are walking into a well-oiled, you know, forward-looking place when someone's reaching out, especially someone as accomplished as you. And like D. Holt has done this for me as well in in, um, in Miami where they're it's extremely successful, you know, trainers themselves that have their own crew that they've trained. But then when they look out and say, hey, we'll get this joker in to see what he's got and give me half a day to, you know, you know, see where I can plug holes that I might see and you might take a little piece and not, I always, whenever someone does that, I always think, yep, these people are fucking steaming forward because they're looking outwards, not just inwards. But then to also see such a a well-oiled machine or when you do look inwards, I was Mm. very impressed. That's my pat on the back for you guys. And then also to see- thank
0: you.
1: All your staff, very engaging, but then the thing that I was like, ah, okay, these people get it is when a bunch of them came to the PSA Nationals, which was the following weekend. Cause that's, you know, that's why I was in town and that was like a three hour drive away, and like three of your staff members just rocked up there uh, and were like, oh, we're just interested. You, you were talking about it and now we're here to have a look because you were talking about it. And I was like, ah, these people <laughs> live and breathe this shit. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that's what I want. I, if they could be as passionate as I am every single day, then they're going to love their life like I do. And I'm not afraid to have somebody come in and say something different or something better or something that maybe is a missing piece to what I'm teaching them. Because if you're afraid of people learning things from other people, then you're just going to fail because they're going to find that anyway. Mm. So I want to grow myself. I learn something every day. It's just you, you never stop. And if you stop, you're dead.
2: Yeah, that's interesting to hear you talking about that. I run a lot of very large facilities over here in Australia and it's always interesting for me to hear other successful people talking about their business model and the structure and what they see in people and what they would do differently and so forth because – we do travel the world and we do talk to people, you know, we've been over the States quite a, a lot of times my employers and I to actually go and see what, you know, especially in America, we've been to pet boarding and daycare seminars quite regularly over there. You know, like I'm act- actively involved. I'm on the board of directors for ISCP, So I, I ask a lot of the people what they're doing and, you know, I'm always interested in hearing what other facility owners are doing or business owners are doing and, you that topic you made about watching your staff and seeing them rise to the occasion. Like I watch my own staff and I think to myself, you know, are you just doing this as a job? Are you just doing a nine to five or, or are you, you know, like what are you doing with your own dog? Like what inspires you? And I've seen that in other people, you know, they might be good at business, but they've just got, some people really love it and some people just do it. And I totally agree with you. I think the right people who should be in the elevated positions are the people who just can't get enough of it, you know, like they just eat into it all the time. I think that's important for a lot of international and national business owners to be able to see that and reflect in that in their staff as well, because especially a lot of new people who are signing up into all of this, they just don't know what to look for when they're trying to bring staff on board. So you talked about your project where you're saying you're fast tracking. No one really helps business owners, especially in this space, fast track their staff as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I never get twisted about needing somebody who's not there yet. Like if I need a manager, I need something, I just have such great faith that they're going to show up. And so I just sit with it and don't, I don't tear my hair out. I don't talk about the lack of it. Like I just know like that person will show up and sometimes it's in my staff ready. And sometimes they walk in off the street and I'm like, Oh my God, I've Mm. been waiting for you. Get a shirt on. You're ready.
2: (laughs) Yeah. There were times where, again, just listening to you speaking and I was thinking to myself, there's times where I've tried to hammer square pegs into round holes I thought I was doing the right thing by trying to mold that person into a job. And then I it finally dawned on me one day, what am I doing? Why am I trying to force this person to be something that they don't want to be? Why don't I just give that role to somebody else? Like take the burden away from that person because really they don't want it. You know, like I can see it in them that they're a capable person, but they don't want it. So basically, you can't
0: want it enough for them to want it ex- is basically what it comes down to, exactly, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. So you know, it. it it relieved like an incredible burden off me. Like it just took so much stress away from my life when I realized they have the talent, but they don't want it. So don't make them do something they don't want to, because then all you're doing is making them resent you and the job. And which effectively is what I've done in the past is is I've compelled people into a role that they never really heartfully wanted to fulfill.
0: But I think that's important that as the owner of a business, you, you have to go through that process Absolutely. and hopefully every time you go through it, it's shorter and it's short and that's how you learn, right? That's how the dogs learn mm. and it's not failure. It's just information. And so hopefully you get to a point where you're like, you know what? You're going to suck. I've got to move on. <laughs> and that's how far it goes.
1: Yeah. Before we carry on, tell us the name of the books that you wrote. Cause I want to, want that. Want them I'm in the book club. Yeah.
0: Oh, my book is Kathy Santos' Dog Sense.
2: Kathy Santos' Dog Sense. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll put that in our Canine yep. Paradigm
1: book club. And so,
0: it's which is a part of Random House,
1: <laughs> as we all now know. <laughs> we, we now know. All right. So super interesting backstory complete, right? Mm. But the real reason we had you on was me and you were emailing yesterday or day before or whatever it was. Uh, and I was just curious because I know a lot of people, you know, reaching out, I'm busier than ever dealing with behavioral pet dog problems because, you know, during lockdowns and, and uh, people working less and that sort of thing, they're at home a lot more with their dogs. And I think most dog trainers I've spoken to are crazy busy at the moment, mm. especially people who do in-home behavior modification. But I've been worried about the people with the big facilities, right? And I'm curious how they're managing it. And so I just said, oh, how are you doing? And you told me you're going gangbusters. So- Uh, Tell me how the (laughs) fuck that has come to be.
0: (laughs) Well, I got word of this event about a week before it actually hit. And uh, you should know about me that I don't ever watch the news and I've never read a paper since the towers went down. So that's like, what is that, 2000?
3: Mm -hmm. So
0: I am pretty much unaware of everything that goes on in the world, which is what I like. My husband knows if there's something that I need to know about, like important, that's going to impact me personally. Let me know if I can't fix it with dog training. I definitely don't want to know. And I'm pretty happy that way. Yeah. I'm pretty Disney and I don't probably not PC to say that I'm happy that way, but, but I am. And it works for me because I feel frustration when there's nothing I can do to solve something that's going on. And that's just an emotional, mental thing that makes me crazy. Um, So I heard about it and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, really? Like, is this really going to happen? I don't think so. But then I had somebody who was in a pretty high position in government tell me, no, this is happening. So I, two days before they shut down New Jersey, the world, I stayed up for almost two and a half days and I put all of my classes online. I created a format, how I wanted it to be. um, And I just thought if this goes this way, then this is what we're going to do. And then we got the executive order. All the businesses had to shut down unless they were essential. And I immediately thought about the dogs that were in my care that belonged to police officers and hospital workers. And I said, oh, I'm essential because mm-hmm. these people have to, to, they have to go to their jobs and they can't leave their dogs home. And who's gonna go into somebody's house in this climate? So I just said, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm staying open. And I did. And apparently, allegedly, uh, people called the police and said, hey, she's still open. And they came and they said, like, you're still open. I said, yes, because I sell dog food because you said people who sell dog food can do that. And I have essential workers. And they were like, oh, you're fine. Stay mm-hmm. open. Nice. So most of my team decided to self-quarantine. And that was fine because they would get unemployment. And I and some of them have autoimmune things. And I was like, great. But there were a core five that stayed And I said, you know what? We're just going to run business as usual. We're going to go in. We're going to have a day. It's going to be the same amount of hours. You can get paid the same amount of thing. And we're just going to really deep clean. Mm. (laughs) So um, the first week we had four dogs. And so I was probably down (laughs) 90 dogs, I guess, at that point. And every day it was like, we're going to keep doing it. And I launched the whole idea of online classes. And I miscalculated that. Because we we said okay, I got all the trainers together. We're going to do this online and crickets. And I thought, why doesn't anybody want to train their dog? But it was my brain; it wasn't their brain. My brain was like, oh, let's train dogs. Their brain was like, what the hell is happening? Mm. Like, where? What are we going to do for food and my kids? So they were in a sense they couldn't do it. But we kept on, and every day we would show up. And I, I taught a lot of classes on Zoom to nobody, but we were recording them in case people wanted them later.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so after a week, people. Started to say, can we drop our dog off? Because he's driving us crazy. We'd rather drop our kids off and our husbands off. But (laughs) what about the dog? And I was like, yeah, sure, we can do. And then the craziest thing started happening. People were calling for in-home lessons, which you would think would be no. But I started doing 15 to 20 hours a week of that. Mm -hmm. You know, and you suit up and you go in. And then they started coming back in and then we started doing free Zoom calls and then we started doing free lessons and then people started coming back and never once on social media did we talk about the crisis. We talked about the positive, like we're having fun, like how much fun we're having and we're really safe and we're cleaning and now we're going to do curbside pickup and drop off. It just sort of picked up and then people started getting new dogs and they're like, will you come to our house and train the dog? We're like, yeah, absolutely. We will. And it's grown. There was one point, and, and I said this to my team, I'm not afraid. Like, I'm going to stay here. If you guys don't want to be here, I'm going to be here for the dogs who need me. And they were like, no, we'll stay. And so you say that, right? And then you get the test. And the test for me came five days after the world shut down. And it was a phone call from a student who asked if I would board their dog, their mother's dog. And this person had been a longtime student for a while. And I said, okay, sure. And they're like, will you pick up? And I said sure. Where, where do your parents live? And they, she gave me the address and then she called back and she said, I need to be honest with you. My parents were both taken by ambulance to the hospital and they're positive for COVID and the dog is in the house in a crate and nobody will go get him. And at that point, people thought that there was contact. You know, if you touched a surface,
3: mm-hmm. nobody
0: really knew, right? It's
3: early days, So they,
0: yeah. that was really early. Nobody knew anything. So they said, the neighbors won't go. Everybody's telling us 72 hours until they'll go get the dog. And he's in a crate. Oh, so you're like, well, this is putting my money where my mouth is, isn't it? Oh, I'm not afraid. I get this fucking dog out of his crate and I'm going to go in and do it. So I have my gloves. I had my bags on my shoes. I had my Disney rain poncho because that's all I had.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you took a photo of this get <laughs>
0: God, no. And it was pouring rain and I had a mask and I got there and I got out of the car. And the first thing I saw was the trash can with the lid upside down. And in it were all the masks and gloves from the ambulance workers who would come in. Mm. And that made it semi real. Mm. So I'm like, oh, shit, we're just going to get in. We're going to do this. Right. And I'm trying to punch the keypad. And gloves, hello, don't go through Keep keypad. You can't, it doesn't touch it with the digital thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. damn it. So I have to take my finger out of the glove and do it. Door goes in and go in. And it looked like a crime scene because all I can imagine is the ambulance workers with the gurneys were rushing and there was an end table turned over. There was Gatorade all over the table. It, it was just very surreal. Mm. So I'm walking through the house going, pop, 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 because I've never been in this house. Like, I wonder where the dog is. (laughs) There he was. In the crate, going, dude, I gotta get out of here. I gotta pee. So I'm like, okay, shit, there's his leash. I really shouldn't use his leash. He's wearing a collar. Probably should ditch the collar too. So took him out of the crate, took off all his belongings, held him like Simba from the Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Put him in the crate and shut it. Took off all the stuff. My Disney rain ponchos was it? Left that in the trash bin. Drove home, went back in the house, got more gloves, went to the crate, took him out, put him right in the tub, bathed him like 12 times, (laughs) wrapped him in the towel and stuck him in a crate. And I knew that my team had seen this message. I knew they had seen that this person was asking for this and then said all the other things that happened. And I thought, I've got to do this as safely as possible so they feel comfortable and don't feel like I'm putting them in danger. So, yeah, he was my first test of, you do what you're talking about or are you just a big fake?
3: Yeah. Like, nope,
0: I'm going to be sleeping anytime soon with the adrenaline rush, but I'm good. Mm. And it turned out that the one of the owners did pass away. Yeah, right. Very owners, um, But he was fine. So, yeah, that was that was probably the biggest thing. And then I guess, oh, I mentioned, too, I'm sure that we couldn't do in-person classes. So those 40 classes
3: gone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we did boarding. Uh, like I said, in the curbside pickup, we did transport zoom calls.
3: <sighs>
0: it was just, and the students loved it. And they felt part of the family and I almost feel like they thought that this was a place you could go, whether it was on Facebook or dropping off your dog where the world hadn't changed. I mean, we wore masks and protocol was different, but it was the same happy vibe. And if you were in the student Facebook group, you would see that the message was not about the world the message was let's help your dog get through this is he stressed because y'all are there in one room and you keep petting him and touching him let's work on that i said when this started dog bites were going to spike and it did within our little student group i'd say we had over 40 dog bites happen wow um, over Mm. the course of yeah but what that was was people were just all sideways and they weren't monitoring their kids And they were fighting, and the dogs were like, there's a lot of stress occurring, and I have no release because I can't go on Facebook, so I'm going to just bite. And so that was a lot of the calls, too. And then I I have an online course, and people started joining. I don't know how they found me from all over the country. I have students in Utah and Wisconsin. I'm like, how did you people find me? Um, But my social media team, who's awesome, they're running Facebook ads instead of just to this area nationally. Mm -hmm. So we acquired a ton of students who don't even live in New Jersey. And then the team came back little by little. By May, everybody was back on board. We were overflowing. The people who weren't back had been replaced with dogs who were new. And we all looked at ourselves and said, we just doubled our business. And (laughs) where are we going to put them? Wow. But the other side of the building was then going right into construction. So we opened that side. Our grooming shop was built. We have that big yard. It has AstroTurf in it. We have a new parking lot on the other side of the building. And we've increased from 10,000 to 18,000 square feet. We have a water treadmill. We're starting a program for kids with autism. It's a not-for-profit. And just I just have my blinders on. And I'm just looking straight ahead and looking at all the dogs who need us and the people who need us. And we're doing it.
3: Good for you. Mm. And
1: it's a funny one looking back to understand that, you know, going in to get that dog, you probably weren't in a lot of risk knowing that now. But at that time, you didn't know that it's a big, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's a ballsy move to go in there and do that. And so good for you. And and I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you were able to adapt. We spoke about this when it was all kind of starting that- you just got to figure it out. And, and some people, we got a bit of flack over that. Some people are like, fuck you, figure it out. Like I'm losing my job. And I'm like, yeah, man, but like, you've got to, you you've can't got to adapt. sit you've... on your hands. You got to do something. It's a shitty situation. We're all in it and you got to work. You got to put in the effort. You got to figure it out. And, and, and maybe you have to change industries or completely change what you do. But you know, we've all like, you got no other choice. You, mm. you can be helpless or you can help yourself. Well, that's one of the interesting
2: things that I had a conversation with some of our staff. We were talking about the same sort of thing. Cause a lot of us are worried everyone was worried there was no dress rehearsal you know and we've gone through this whole thing before where we're all saying we had no plan we people are looking for leadership and people to answer questions and that happens in crises in any event but we had a team meeting here and i said to the staff look we've just got to follow the nature of a dog and a dog is very adaptive and that's what we've got to do too we've just got to look to adapt where we can so much like you kathy we changed our model from Boarding because we're a tourism-based company and, you know, like at Christmas every year we're looking after well and truly, you know, like up into 1,500 dogs and cats at all our facilities. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean we've got five facilities so there's a lot of space that we fill over that at point in time but we could hear the cricket singing as well when all the tourism started drying up and the planes started parking on the runways, and they started shutting down our borders. So we pretty much switched into the same gear. We thought we have to change it to training and daycare and that's pretty much what saved our business that made an about turn for us because at some of our facilities we're knocking people back which is good it's mm. a it's a good
0: problem to have right i mean i remember like a 30 second blip where i was like what the hell am i going to do i just dumped everything i had into this like how am i going to fix it how am i going to reimagine this and because i never feel constrained by what other people do or i don't feel the need to look at what other people do i just I'm just cool with what I come up with because I know it's going to be right for me. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I can't lose this, mostly for my team and mostly for the students and their dogs. I mean, that's what you fight for. You fight for the people who need you because when you have, and I only have 40, I'm sure you have a lot more, 40-ish people on payroll. Those are families. Those are people who are counting on you to figure it out. It's that fit-fo mentality that, you have to have. And mm. I feel like I've always had it. And this was certainly the biggest challenge I've ever had. I'd like it to be the only one that I ever had.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I Remain think um, biggest, means yeah. of people agree with you.
0: Yeah. And then I think that, and then again, I was aware that some people like around me, there were two places that shut down mm. and you have to do what you feel is right. And all I could think of was, well, you know what? I bet they have some really kick ass employees. I wonder if they'll find us because we yeah. could use a few more. Because I was hiring people in, Mar- in April. I'm like, yeah, I right. need more help. Some of my team doesn't feel safe coming back yet. So I need help. So I hired a book. Who hires people during the Rona? This girl.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
2: good and for you. And my ads um, got
0: a lot of traction, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> bet.
2: that's amazing. Hey, Kathy, before we sort of look into wrapping this up, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. What's one of your best pieces of advices for dog trainers? What do you think is your go-to mantra?
0: Train some dogs. I am so grateful that I didn't have the resources available to people now Mm. for dog trainers. I am so glad. And I have courses and I know you guys have courses online. So it, it sounds like it's going against that, but I don't know how they do it. They've got so many courses, they go to this one, then that one and this one and that one. And they're in front of the computer. I'm like, no, just go in a shelter and find a dog with a card that said he was given up because they were allergic to him and then see how that goes. In the cell <laughs> with
3: him. <laughs> you
0: know, uh, I like that there's information out there, but I, I worry sometimes. And I have had trainers come to me who've been through schooling, but the mechanics of it, it could be anything. It's not in that textbook. It doesn't always run like that. They don't have that. So really just get your hands on dogs and train, 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 make mistakes, forgive yourself, forgive the dog and maybe find one good mentor, like one, don't get eight of them yeah, (laughs) because you're hearing it in different ways do you know what i'm
3: saying Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
1: that's great advice i think that that's something we've spoken about a few times on the show is people who mentor hop uh yeah and don't commit to anything and will tell you that oh that doesn't work and that doesn't work when you haven't actually seen it through you haven't seen the endpoint, so you Mm -hmm. don't really know whether it works or not And, and you're dead right there's so much information out there that it can be really difficult for people to commit to anything because there's so many competing things available
0: yeah, train with somebody who makes you send a VHS tape and takes a week to get back to you when you call <laughs> them. Asks you what your solution to the problem is when you've never had a dog before. Train with that. That'll really, it'll harden you up. I love that <laughs>
1: though. I think that that probably is one of the things that served you best in your career was being forced to do that because- It's like, I You know, I, I shy away from people who need to be spoon fed everything. Like I, I don't like that because it's, you know, I can- You know, maybe I can see and solve your problem right now, but that's not – by plugging that hole for you isn't going to help you next time you have this a a variance on the same problem, right? But that's not Um, just dog trainers. That's staff as
3: well. Yeah, it's in everything. It's in
1: everything. Yeah. mm. I think that when people that need to be spoon-fed, you know, like I'm not the one to spoon-feed. They're they're trust fund babies. They're waiting for room service. Room service, that's Mm. it. Hey, Kathy. Cathy. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you having a chat with
2: us.
0: It was so much fun. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, pleasure. And we really appreciate your contribution. I mean, it's very generous and thank you so much. You know, like you've always been very kind and it's wonderful to hear your backstory because I didn't know too much about you until, you know, Pat sort of said, oh, we've got Kathy turning up on the show and, you know, like he gave me the elevator pitch in the kitchen
1: and I thought, wow, very interesting. So if people want to uh, get in touch with you or look to get their dog trained or get into your online stuff or read your your books, Mm. what's the best way to do that? Where can people find you online?
0: They can go to kathysantodogtraining.com. Everything is there.
1: Perfect. Groovy. All right. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. Mm, Thank you, Kathy.
0: Thank you, guys. I will have those videos sent to you and we'll talk again soon.
1: Thank you. All right. That's it Thank for another you. episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from and be specific. What is it about Kathy's backstory that was inspiring to you? Mm. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is on Patreon. A few bucks a month, get you extra content there. Or you can rep some cool merch of ours that you can get from Teespring. Had a very quick conversation with Zoe Needy, who's going to do us some new designs so keep an eye out for those coming soon our bestie from canada yep yep and if you want to get in contact with us the best way to do that is group source some information through facebook through our discussion group or if it's you know just want to tell us how cool we are you can shoot us an email (laughs) info at the canine paradigm.com that's it glenn music